Welcome to the Law School Admissions Simplified Podcast, where we cut through the nonsense, talk about all things LSAT, law school admissions, and life-related. I'm Ben. I do LSAT prep and law school admissions full-time. If you like what we do here, you can find me on Instagram, where I post about admissions and the LSAT at LSA Simplified, or on my website, lsasimplified.com. I've written an LSAT book you can find on Amazon titled LSA Simplified LSAT Primer. I also host free LSAT sessions once a month, as well as paid monthly courses, tutoring, and on-demand options. Uh, coming up next, Wednesday, the 19th. Oh, no, not Wednesday. It's on Tuesday, which is the 19th. So excuse me, I have a free admission session. So if you want to attend that, you're welcome to. We'll be going through a diversity statement, as well as some personal statements to talk about what to do and what not to do. Okay, so on the agenda today, we're going to go through a few emails, talk about logic games going away, what that means, um, who wins, who loses, and really just what impact that has for anyone thinking about taking the LSAT. We're also going to go through um, why admissions help can be useful. And yeah, that's what we're going to do. So to start things off, um, let's talk about logic games. So the LSAC announced that logic games is going away starting in August of 2024. As of recording this, this means you have four more chances to take the LSAT in its current format. Uh, those takes would be January, February, April, and June. January's deadline has passed. So if you're not taking January, you're not taking it. And February's is coming up here. February's is probably in a couple of days. I don't really keep track of the deadlines because it doesn't affect my job as someone teaching LSAT. But you should have those on your calendar if you're looking at taking the LSAT anytime soon. And that being said, April and June have them. If you, If it were me, I would plan on taking April and June if you're studying currently. And the reason for that is because the LSAT is much easier with logic games. The LSAT, as you all know, is three sections, logic games, logical reasoning, and reading comprehension. And logic games is just the easiest to master. Part of that is that it's so formulaic where you can just learn how to do them. And once you're good at them, you really don't miss the questions. They are so learnable. So I really do think that if you are studying, you should plan on taking them. Like, for example, if I go into a task, I can miss an LR question because I read something wrong or read a comp question because I just get tripped up by an answer. I don't miss logic games. And I got to perfection on logic games, maybe within, call it 50 hours of study, whereas to get to like not missing reading comp questions, you might have to put in 5,000 hours of study. So it's just a difference in the amount of time you have to invest. And it's like two orders of magnitude. It's so significant that you really should, you know, do it with logic games. Additionally, it's you know, the easiest section. So I would do that. And the reason why I advise taking it with its current format, which is logic games, reading comp and LR, as opposed to what it will be after August, 2024, which is two LRs and one reading comp, is that all the scores will be considered the same. So if you take it now in April or June, you can probably score much higher. And hence, then when you are competing with people that have taken it in its harder format, you'll have a higher score, but law schools won't care because they don't actually keep up to date on the fact that logic games are easier. These people are pretty out of touch with the um, LSAT as a general rule. So they don't know that your 175 is inflated by logic games. They think that it's, you know, just equivalent to the average 175, whereas a 175 in the new format starting next August will be much more impressive because it'll be much harder to hit that. So some people push back on this and say, oh no, logic games is not easy, it's harder. And typically I find these people fall into one of two groups. The first group, which is most of them, is people that just haven't studied that much. When you sit down with the LSAT for the first time, logic games are hard. You have these puzzles and you're not sure where to put the variables and it gets pretty confusing pretty quickly. So I find that a lot of people that haven't studied think logic games is really hard. Whereas in reading comp and LR, even though they kind of suck at them, 
you kind of can trick yourself into thinking you're good at them because you feel like you're understanding what you're reading. And even if you're missing the questions, you're like, oh, I read it. I picked an answer. That's not that hard. However, you know, those people just haven't studied that much. There is a second group, which I find to be the minority, which are people that just are genuinely terrible at the logic games, but they can understand reading comp and LR. However, that's not most people. Like when I see people saying, oh no, LR or logic games is the hardest section. And then you say, okay, what was your score? It's usually like somewhere in the 150. So it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, you might think it's hard, but you're also not good at the other sections. So do, do you really know what's hard and what's easy if you're missing like that many questions? And yeah, if you're in the 150s, 140s, you don't understand nearly as much as you think you do as a general rule. People often tend to overestimate how much they get. I'd say until you're like in the high 160s, you're really not crushing the LSAT in terms of understanding. It doesn't mean you have to get there, but people do trick themselves into, oh, I really get it. And if you're scoring in the 150s, you don't get to have a take on whether logic games or reading comps easier because you're not good at any of it. Um, no offense to anyone in the 150s, but that's just like, you know, the situation. So with that, um, yeah, I mean, I would take it. The good thing about logic games is you can perfect it pretty quickly. I think that with a month or two of study, you can get to perfection if you're really doing it every day. And even if you're not, you can still get there because there are 400 some released logic games. It's very repetitive. If you do enough of them, your brain kind of makes the neural connections to where subconsciously it just gets easier. So you don't even have to actively be trying to do these questions better, but just by, you know, repetition, you get better. That being said, you should do them well. And I have an on-demand course for logic games that I would really recommend if you're listening to this, taking the LSAT anytime soon. I, the way I do logic games is what I call the inference method, uh, which is in contrast to the other kind of commercial options. Um, the kind of first way to do logic games is through brute force, where you just test out every answer. I find that to be incredibly time inefficient just because you're testing out every answer and there's no real method to it. You're just, okay, does A work? If it does, that's your answer. If not, then B. And that's just really intensive. It's hard to get through all of them in the amount of time. It's also, you're spending a lot of time creating scenarios and it's just inefficient. Additionally, there's another method that's better than brute force, but I still think it's pretty inefficient, which is called worlds. And worlds creates, you know, so you start with a game and if you have a restricted variable, say M can go second or third, you create two diagrams instead of one diagram. And in the one diagram, you have M second and in the other, you have M third. And that's the good way of doing worlds. However, People often are very bad at deciding what to make. So they end up creating like seven or eight. And often it won't actually help you with the answers. Like the worlds you create won't be relevant or the um, answers will ask you about something your worlds don't answer, at which point many people start spinning their wheels. So I kind of recommend doing a mix of the two, which is what I call the inference method. So you create a base diagram starting off, which has all the rules, um, all the variables, all that good stuff, but you don't create any scenarios after that, you're like, okay, cool, I've got my diagram. And then when you get to a question that has you create a world, like say the question says, if X goes third, then you do all that work and create the situation. So you're not wasting your time creating these worlds that you don't end up using, but rather you're getting paid for all the work you do metaphorically. I find it to be quicker. You're using the same thought process and brain inferences as people doing worlds. You're just doing it in a more directed guided way instead of kind of this random haphazard upfront way that yes, it can work, but on some games, it totally crashes and burns and it's not that great. Uh, there are other people that really recommend worlds. Um, for example, some of the leading LSAT prop companies teach it. However, a lot of them have just admitted they weren't that good at logic games. So I did not get to my method when I first studied. And I think these people just haven't come around to it yet because they still think worlds is the best way, which 
I am pretty convinced it is not. So if you want to see that in action, you can come to one of my free classes. We have one at the end of December. It's on the last Wednesday. So that would be the uh, 27th if you want to attend that. Is it the 20? I don't have it on my calendar. Okay, that's odd. I think it's the 27th. Check my email list if you um, want to know that for sure. And then additionally, you know, I have that whole course. It has every logic game explained from prep test 20 or prep test 19 to prep test 87. So it has almost every LSAT explained fully. And you can get that for like 200 some dollars on my website. And yeah, if you do that whole course and you're not perfecting the logic games, I, I don't know. I, I haven't met that person yet. I really do think it's the best way to prep. And it's a one-time fee. I try not to do subscriptions. You just pay for it once and then, you know, game over. I, I don't care at that point. Oh yeah, cool, cool. So that's logic games. Um, I would take it. That being said, if you are studying currently and you're not going to be there by June or April, because that is a short window. You could push it off until like August or September. Just at that point, you're now taking it in the harder format. And, you know, it could work out. It's just one of those things where you're putting yourself on an uphill battle. That being said, more time to perfect LR and reading comp could be a better score. Like it's possible that if you take it with logic games, you get a 165. But if you just give it more time to perfect LR and reading comp, you could get to 170. That being said, I think scoring 175, the numbers are going to come down. The, the new LSAT is going to be much harder. Uh, despite what LSAC says, they say they have data showing the contrary. I don't believe them. I think they're looking at like, yeah, I think people in the 150s, their scores aren't changing, but at the very top of the scale at the high 170s, mid 170s, even 160s, there's going to be kind of a come down of two to three points. That being said, everyone will come down. So it won't hurt you too much. But if you want to put yourself at a competitive advantage, if you can take the test before it, everyone else will have this artificial dip because the test is getting harder. Whereas you won't, because you'll have taken it in its easy format and hence you'll just be putting yourself at an advantage. So if it were me, I would take it in its current format with logic games. Also the current logic games on the kind of LSATs in the 2020s have been known to be really easy. So you don't even have to like be crushing the prep test logic games. If you can just get to like a pretty good point, you should be able to ace the current ones because they're just known to be substantially easier. Okay, cool, cool. So that's logic games going away. Fun stuff there. I do have a few emails. So we'll start with this first one. And the first one says, I consistently get the conclusion and the reasoning correct. I'm going, okay, sounds like you should get all the questions right at that point. If you're getting the, if you understand it, why are you missing the questions? It's matched pretty much with the explanations, but when it comes down to the 50-50, I go against my instincts and get it wrong. Okay, so this brings us to 50-50s. Um, people are often very proud of 50-50. They're like, oh, like I'm getting 150 on the test, but I'm always getting it down to two answers. And it's like, okay, sure. Like that's a good start, but it's not as good as people think it is. Um, for one, that 50-50, you're still down to two. And on the LSAT, you have five answers, three of which are usually atrociously bad, like not even close to relevant. So getting it down to those first two, isn't that great? And the thing is that fourth answer that's also wrong is also usually atrociously bad. So you're probably not being narrow enough. You should go into the answers with a prediction about what you're looking for. And I think you're being too open. You want to eliminate all five answers more often than you get it down to two. You want to be so skeptical that you are sometimes saying, none of these look good enough. I'm not picking any of these. And by doing that, you're going to stop getting it down to the 50-50s because 50-50s are a very hard spot to be in. And it means you are not understanding the question well enough in the first part. Oh, uh, this person says, I've been keeping a tally of the questions that I've been getting incorrect. And most of them are flawed reasoning. Uh, and then in parentheses, the person says the one where it says, if true. So right there, you have a misunderstanding. Those are not flawed reasoning. The flaw question to ask you what the argument did. So like, which of the following is the argument vulnerable to criticism on? 
or which of the following um, describes a flaw in the argument's reasoning. When it says if true, that's a weakened question. Weakeners are ones where you bring in new information and it can be any information, but some piece of information out in the universe that if you apply to this set of circumstances would make the question worse or make the reasoning worse. So for one, you're looking at um, the wrong type of question. These are weakeners, not flaws. And do you have any tips on how to improve this type of question? Should I drill it? So drilling it refers to doing repetitive, um, doing the same question type over and over. I tend to advise against that because on the LSAT, you will never have the same question type over and over. You will have a mix of questions. So I find that just doing weakeners over and over, while it could get you good at doing a practice set of weakeners, you're never going to do a practice set of weakeners on the test. So I just tend to recommend not doing it. Um, could you gain some things from it? Like, yeah, sure. I just think it's an inefficient use of time. So yeah, how to do weakeners. Um, well, the first thing is you're trying to disconnect the premise from the conclusions. So you have to grant all their premises, but you want to attack their conclusion. So an obvious example of this is say we have an argument that says, um, my grandma's pet is little fluffy. I know that all cats are cute. Therefore, little fluffy is cute. And you want to have an objection to that. And your objection should be, well, is little fluffy a cat? Do we even know that this pet is a cat? And that's an awesome weakener because if that weakener says little fluffy is a dog you're like oh awesome we can grant all of the arguments premises yet totally reject their conclusion because their conclusion does not have to follow based on what they told you so that's the one thing is you're generally disconnecting premises um from the conclusion other than that you're probably not being skeptical enough you should be coming up with objections to these arguments and lsac is not making it hard to object to these arguments if you're being a critical reader you should be calling bs on 70 to 80 percent of them so i would say um slow down in the arguments read better uh, be more active. Don't just read, but also have a conversation with the passage. What is your process of like, how do you react to this argument as you're reading it? If you do that, you should have more ideas of like what to attack. Okay, cool, cool. This next one is actually pretty lengthy. Um, someone sent me an email. I think they um, were actually watching this on YouTube. And yeah, so this is a long one, but we will break it down. So hi, Ben. I put it in 14 point font to ease reading. I have quite the story to tell you, and no, this will not, all capital N-O-T, be something you've heard before, uh, semicolon. I'll ask you to grab a drink and read this through before you think it through. Well, it is 9 a.m. on a Monday, so I'm going to just chug through my water, but I appreciate that. They continue. First, I'll start with my law school experiences, uh, M-dash. Right now, I'm earning my Master of Legal Studies, and will graduate in May, M-dash. This was a way for me to remember and relearn how to learn. Yeah. I think that's a really expensive way to relearn how to learn. Um, MLSs are generally not that useful in the legal field, to my understanding. Um, my take on them is that they've been invented by law schools to make money. But okay, sure. Yeah, you're getting an MLS, which is totally fine, I guess. I, I personally wouldn't take it or I wouldn't get one, but you're already into it. So it's like at this point, that's done. But yeah, I mean, getting back into the academic thing, relearning how to study, all that good stuff before law school is good. This person is older, which we'll get to. So, um, you know, making sure you're academically on par before entering law school is a very good idea. Okay. In 2004, I was a 1L at Widener Law in Delaware. I was doing well, was the SBA 1L rep and got fourth of 38 on the con law midterm. All right, all, all that's fine. My LSAT was 148, I think. So yeah, I mean, definitely, I mean, law school used to be easier to get into. That's one of the little fun facts about um, admissions. So I don't know if a 148 will get you into Widener currently, in fact, let's look at Widener's LSAT range. So currently, if you were to apply to Widener in Delaware, okay, there's still a pretty um, easy law school to get into. Actually, really easy. Their LSAT range is 152 to 148. 
and their GPA range is 3.5 to 2.94. That's quite low for um for law school, which like, if you want to be a public defender, totally fine. If you have um, ideas about making 200K a year, Widener is not the school for you. But yeah, cool, cool. Okay. Or I mean, I guess you could make 200K. The exception where you can make high money despite having gone to a low-ranked school is if you are a um, solo practitioner. That just requires wearing multiple hats. Now, instead of just being a lawyer where you get assignments dropped off on your desk and you have to do them, you now have to generate your own business. You have to do your accounting. Like you're a business owner and a lawyer. So solo practitioners can make good money. In fact, like if I was going to go to law school, that's probably what I would end up doing. Um, I think it's probably the best way to do it. However, you have to do a lot more work. Nothing's guaranteed. Whereas like, if you're a public defender, yeah, you're not going to make much money, but you know, your check's coming every 1st and 15th of the month. So there's that upside to that, although it really caps your income. Okay, cool, cool. So this person's a 1L. Sounds like they're doing well on grades. LSATs are predictive of law school success, but they're not perfect. Like this person had a relatively lower LSAT, but you can see they got fourth out of 38 on their uh, constitutional law midterm. So there are people that crisscross. And this person was one of those. Although Delaware, you know, Widener is a less competitive law school. The people you're competing against are going to be easier to beat out as a general rule because they were not good at the LSAT or school. And hence, they're probably not going to be as good at law school as if you were like at Harvard. Not to say you wouldn't succeed at Harvard, I don't know, um, but it is a different pool of students you're competing against. All right, uh, next paragraph. On the last day of classes in my first semester, while I was turning into the school parking lot, I was T-boned by an illegal driver. Uh, I hope we're not saying the driver's an illegal. I hope we're saying it's an illegal move. Uh, generally, I wouldn't use illegal as an adjective to describe people. Um, like, that's an illegal over there. But I, I don't think that's what you mean. But either way, okay, we'll continue. So rather than finals, I spent four months in the hospital with a traumatic brain injury. Yeah, I mean, that, I can see how that really fucks up your law school plans and could drop you out. So let's see where this goes. When I was released from the hospital, I was not in any way fully recovered. The type of injury I sustained generally takes a five-year minimum recovery. Yeah, that's brutal, especially if you're doing academic stuff. That's stressful, reducing sleep, which law school tends to do. However, the school advised me I had to be back for classes for the fall term or I would have to reapply. Yeah, that's shitty, but it might be policy. I didn't remember to eat daily, yet I remembered I did not want to retake the LSAT, so I went back and failed everything. Yeah, that's not good. Um, okay, so this person was doing good, but then they had this TBI, and now they're doing poorly. In any event, I have, quote, gotten it together. I think I will be an excellent candidate for an Oregon State Bar. That is the end goal. All right, so now you live in Oregon, so I'm assuming you want to go to an Oregon school, which is like Lewis and Clark. Oregon has a school. I think that's it. I could be missing one, but yeah. To move this along, I lived in Brazil from five to 10 years old. I was bored in school when we moved back. The education system I had been in was highly advanced to ours. My parents divorced with me in the middle. This was the 1970s, so the early days of child custody. I was put on the witness stand when I was 12 and asked by the judge which parent I loved most. Okay, um, that sucks. Years went by, I became a travel agent. In 2001, I was a travel agent in Pennsylvania and watched my job crumble with the Twin Towers. I was born in New York City. Okay, so we have a lot of information here. Um, I'm not fully understanding, but we'll continue. I decided to go to paralegal school and loved it. I was good at it, 4.0 GPS. I decided I didn't want to work for a lawyer. I wanted to be one. Yeah, I'd be curious if you've been working as a paralegal. That would be a good fact. If you're, um, I'm assuming this is all coming towards an application is the ultimate end goal of this. But okay, sure. So you um, went to paralegal school, it went well. That's generally a good sign. I don't know how hard paralegal school is. It could be really hard. It could be really easy. I have no clue. Um, I do know that like master's degrees tend to be really easy. So when people come with a 4.0 from a master's program, I'm like, okay, cool. Like I, a 4.0 in a master's might be equivalent to like a 3.0 undergrad. Obviously not if you're like a master's in like engineering, but when people come with like an 
just a general masters i'm skeptical so i don't know how hard paralegals are whether that falls into like a really hard 4.0 which it could be or really easy 4.0 oh yeah cool cool i transferred to eastern university in pennsylvania which was ironic because of the school type a christian university i don't know why that's ironic i guess you're not christian but it was the right choice i graduated in 2004 on the honors list wait wasn't that when you were in law school yeah you said earlier that you were in um law school in 2004 at 39 years old Okay, so I'm confused. Um, I, I'm assuming that's not 2004. Maybe it's 2014. I don't know. Either way, um, I'll just assume that it's some point after Widener. So now I live in Oregon. I remain disabled. My brain does not tell my left leg to work. I own a home and work as a corporate travel agent for a firm doing the travel for Arizona State University. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd ask yourself is like, um, what do you see yourself doing as a lawyer? It sounds like despite, I mean, you might not be content with how things are, but it sounds like you have a decent situation. You're a homeowner. Um, you have what seems like a decent job. And then, yeah, I mean, if you are looking for an upgrade, maybe lost the path, maybe it's not. I would just make sure that if you are, it might be hard to practice if you're um, disabled. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's If you have to work from home, I think some lawyers can do that. I think also it might be a hindrance. So I would just be uh, careful, but it's also possible. Who knows? I would just make sure you uh, look in really deeply into what lawyers that you want to do do, just to make sure that with whatever, with whatever disabilities you have, you are able to do it. Um, the last one, you me that off, an after hours program will not work for me it was not handicapped accessible that i find hard to believe um I'm, I'm not saying i don't believe you i'm just saying that i feel like law schools have to have a way for handicapped people to enter it um but either way yeah there are online programs now which is what you get into he said i discovered that southwestern law had become an online program earlier this year so yeah okay that's good southwestern is generally not a respected law school um it's in los angeles for those of you that don't know they don't have an undergrad it's just law school it is ABA, so it's not one of the really bad California schools, but it's not like Southwestern used to be the butt of a lot of jokes. Um, that being said, if you just want to like, if you just need your JD and you already know what you're going to do, or if you want to be a solo practitioner or any of that, it's totally fine. If you want to get hired at a big firm, like you're fucked out of Southwestern. It's not happening. Maybe one person can do it. Like, Don't email me with the one person who went and worked at like some big firm. It does not disprove my point. Um, you guys need to learn how to make an example sorry, how to make an argument not using an atypical example. That's like saying um, Joe Biden's an American, Joe Biden's the president, therefore Americans tend to be president. It's a ridiculous argument, yet I have to deal with it all the time. Ironically, the people I argue with tend not to be that good at arguing because they're usually pushing back on the LSAT, which means they're not good at the LSAT. And it's, uh, I've discovered that fighting with those people is usually not worth my time because it's like, yeah, I mean, you can't argue with someone who's not playing by the rules or who just does not understand the words coming out of your mouth. Um, that's besides the point though. That's just a tangent. Say, if you think that Southwestern provides good opportunity outcomes, don't take my word for it. Look at lawschooltransparency.com. Look at the salaries. Look at the outcomes. Um, ball, don't lie. All righty. So yeah, you're looking at Southwestern. Uh, I would say if you're looking for online, Southwestern's not the only one. Santa Clara has one. Uh, Syracuse, which we just talked to Mallory on last episode about her situation. There are a lot of different options. So you don't have to just look at Southwestern. And yeah, so I immediately started investigating it and they've been able to offer the online program in Oregon, a dream come true. I mean, yeah, you would think they would offer the online program anywhere. I've been in touch with the school and cannot wait to start. The barriers are one, permission from the Oregon bar. I'm sure the Southwestern to ABA, so it shouldn't be a problem. I don't think Oregon will have an issue with that. Although, yeah, do call the bar up, make sure it's taken. I think it is, but if it's ABA accredited, which it should be, if it's not, don't go to this program. But as long as it is, it'll be um, sufficient to take the Oregon bar. And a high enough LSAT to get me in for a full ride. Yeah, so that's a tricky thing. Uh, these online schools don't like to give full rides, especially 
like talking to Mallory and she was way above median for GPA and LSAT and she didn't get any full reps. The only one she got was Santa Clara and she had to go there once a month. So um, I'm also looking at Southwestern's 509 right now. Only 3% of the school gets a full ride and their LSAT range is already well above where you were at. It's a 157 to 152. So you are going to have to bump your LSAT up maybe 10 points. And then also your GPA. Hopefully it's a good GPA because that's set in stone. And if you don't have a good GPA, you're not getting a full ride at Southwestern. Um, additionally, okay, so they are getting full rides to some part-time program people, but 3% is not a lot of full rides to get. Like, could you get it? Sure. I would not expect it. Um, so yeah, I plan to be a 65-year-old immigration lawyer. The person who caused his accident that almost killed me was the 19-year-old illegal immigrant. Okay, so they were an illegal. That is what we meant earlier. I would probably not say that. Who was deported within the days after the accident. This is a 19-year-old kid sent to a country he had not lived in since he was two, and his family remained in Delaware. So I'm confused. Are we trying to get kids deported or are we trying to keep them from getting deported? Because in some way, like you've had this really traumatic injury, which like that sucks. I feel really bad for you. Um, hope, it sounds like you've been able to have a good life despite that, but that's brutal. Um, but then also, do we want to like help them? Like, is it about forgiveness and like being kind to people and not holding that against them and trying to allow him to stay in the U.S.? If you're talking about how you want to deport illegals, I probably wouldn't write that in a personal statement um if you're talking about like forgive that could be a really good thing so i think that's a general rule of forgiveness and like showing grace to people is a good thing so i don't know it's i must learn how to write this into a personal statement or add-on i mean there was so much here I, I don't even know what part you're talking about that you want to write into an add-on as a personal statement um whether it's the um paralegal aspect whether it's living in brazil um your past law school experience you will have to address that law schools are generally not kind uh, to people that are reapplying, having attended law school, you didn't fail out because you're a dum dumb. You failed out because you had this injury. So they will be more forgiving towards you. But yeah, you will need an LSAT again because your LSAT from back then is not going to be valid anymore. So you are going to have to retake the task and hopefully score better. Uh, that being said, for Southwestern, you don't need an amazing score to get in. It's also going to be hard to get scholarship, like for what it's worth. Um, they're not giving a ton. Not to say you can't get some, but I would just go in you know, with the expectation that unless you get your LSAT up by, to like the 160s or at least the very high 150s, um, it's unlikely that you are going to get a substantial scholarship. And then your GPA, like if you have a 3.0, you're, you're probably just pretty fucked. Um, if you have like a 3.7, yeah, you're in a great spot. And with a decent LSAT, they'll throw money. So it depends a lot on your GPA. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know where to go with that. I'd say a good personal statement would focus on recovery and what you've done and how you've despite all this injury, I'm still done stuff. I wouldn't dwell on the things that happen to you. That's what people often do with these personal statements is they'll focus on the injury. They'll focus on kind of this anger and that doesn't do anything for you because you want to talk about what you've done, not really what happened to you. Uh, this could be diversity statement stuff. Like, oh, I you know, have this disability, but it's totally up to you. It, it's difficult to convey. Um, and there was so much here. I'm really not sure what direction you're wanting to go. in. so if you want, you can send a follow-up and we can keep talking about this. But yeah, um, it's a lot. I would say Southwestern could happen. I'd look at the other online schools because there are, I think, 10 or 15 now. And I wouldn't get married to Southwestern because if you're doing it online, you can do it from anywhere. Um, so yeah, that's my basic thoughts. Also, I would call up the um, local Oregon school. I don't know which one it is, but if you could do the in-person program and get them to accommodate you, they should be able to. That's like a disability lawsuit waiting to happen. So they do have to accommodate you if you can get it. They might just deny you to like avoid that problem, but um, but technically that would be an ADA violation, so or an ADA violation. So I don't know. I would look into that and see what you can do.
Oh yeah, cool, cool. Well, that's that. Uh, sorry, I don't have more actionable advice for you other than get a high LSAT. Um, but if you want to add more context, I'm happy to keep talking about it either via email or next week on the podcast or whatever is good for you. Okay, cool, cool. So the next point is um, admissions consulting. And I just wanted to touch because, well, for one, I have my session um, eight days from now. I think this is coming out on Wednesday. So if you want to come to that, it'll be about a week from the day you hear this. And yeah, admissions is really useful. It's not that admissions is that hard. I don't think writing essays is terribly difficult, yet people's essays prove me wrong because people write really bad essays. So we're basically going through that. I got several submitted to me already, um, which I appreciate those of you that put them out there. I do do them anonymously so that they don't get um, exposed or flamed. And out of the four I got submitted, um, these ones actually look better than usual, but there's still a ton I would change. For one, they're all really long. They're supposed to be about two pages. And I think every single one I got submitted of these four is like four or at least three. So that's a problem. Um, and then additionally, a lot of them focus on various immigration, which can be good. Generally, that's, I think, better for diversity statements. Um, do we have two people from Ghana? That's wild. Uh, so that's kind of cool in a way. But yeah, so... Um, We'll be going through that. And the the unfortunate thing about these is often they have really good stuff here. And it's just like a matter of how do you spin it? How do you use this to, you know, paint yourself in a good light? And people often, they take good facts and put them in the wrong way. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at this one. It's just like an incredible one. Like he's clearly written it well. There's, I can't, I'm sure I can't find a grammatical mistake. Um, but there's still some things I would change. So like turn this from like a, a good personal statement. This is not a bad personal statement to um incredibly stronger. But yeah, this one's actually probably the most polished we have. So shout out to Paul. We'll be going through it. You have a good one. There are some small changes I would make, but like this is one of the best drafts I've seen submitted to me in a while. Um, so yeah, we'll go through those. And part of that is I just heard from one of the people I'm working with this cycle. She is, she has a 170, so she has a good LSAT and she has a 3.7-ish, 3.71, I don't know the exact, but it's somewhere in the 3.7s. And she just got an interview from Yale. So I clearly know what I'm doing because she is well below the 25th percentiles for both LSAT and GPA, yet she got a personal invite. Apparently only nine people got this invite, even though about 4,000 people apply to Yale every year. Um, so out of 4,000, she's one of nine. So that is just to do some quick math, about a point, um, it's 0.002% chance of getting this interview invite if you're an applicant. And she got one. So I mean, I'm not trying to puff my own horn and say like, I'm crushing it at this, but like, you know, Yale Law School gave her an interview and she's below medians. Now she's awesome. Obviously she did the work. I just helped guide her and help her craft her story as an admissions consultant. We're just, you know, helping you put your best foot forward. Um, that being said, people tend to put their worst foot forward a lot. And my main job is to keep you from putting your foot in your mouth, uh, which if you want to see how I do that, we will be going through it. I try to put a lot of stuff out there for free, but if you like what I do, um, I have options for that, and I think it's probably the best investment you can make other than LSAT prep in your future, uh, because yeah, I mean, the results I get are really good. I tend to send people to schools on full rides, and I really do think that their essays and application are all the better for it. Um, even if the content of your essay doesn't end up being A+, you will not have typos. I, like, it does not happen. You do not get through my admissions consulting with a typo. Uh, it's not like, oh, you have one typo as opposed to 10. You will not have a typo. I really pride myself on that. And additionally, not just that, but like, I am also going to say, Hey, uh, don't write about that. That's a bad idea. So I do edit for content. Some of the other Instagram people, 
Um, and I don't want to talk about all of them and I won't name anyone just because, you know, um, that's not the point here, but I am largely in the Instagram LSAT space. That's where many of you mostly know me from, but I've co-edited as one of the, uh, one of the same ones as another guy who does a lot of image consulting. And all he does is run it through Grammarly and just puts in the Grammarly edits. It's like, dude, you can pay Grammarly $10 a month. If you want that, um, don't pay you $150 for an edit just to have Grammarly do it. So I do put a lot of care and thought into my edits. Um, I'll have some people on that have done consulting with me to talk about it. I'll also read some statements that I've had. I just have to get permission from them to put that out there because, you know, I don't want to like blast people's stuff out there if they're not comfortable with it. But the point is, I just want to share that 170, uh, 3.7. Yeah, she has an interview at uh, Yale Law School. So shout out to her. She's crushing it. All right, let's do a couple Reddit questions just for fundies. Um, cool, cool. Let's go to LSAT or slash LSAT and just sort by new. And we will uh tackle three questions okay do, do, do. already um that's one two and three okay starting with the first one can i apply to any university abroad with a total of 20 backlogs i'm like i don't even know what you're talking about what are backlogs i have a 21 year old law student okay um no you're not if you're in the u.s and they say, I have an eight plus GPA on 10 until my second year. Okay, I don't know what they're talking about at this point. All right, we're done with this one. We're, we're not going to bother with this. It looks like they're an Indian person um, that doesn't quite know American. Well, they're, I think they're asking about Indian schools. Yet, you know, I don't know anything about Indian schools. So if you're Indian, I apologize. I don't have anything to give you. It is one of those weird things where um, just a little LSAT tangent. The schools that take the the... American schools and Canadian law schools use the LSAT. I think Australia does too, because it's also English and they just outsource it. So instead of having to administer their own test, they just use ours. India also uses the LSAT for some reason, which is odd because I don't know if their courts operate in English. I guess they must, but the India LSAT is a thing. They have four answer choices as opposed to five. So it's a little easier, um, but yeah, kind of odd that India has the LSAT. I don't know a ton about it, but it is a thing. So if you're Indian and you came across this podcast, I don't know how relevant my advice will be to you. Um, I'd probably look to other sources. I can help them with the actual subject matter of the test. But as far as admission stuff, I would, which is what most of this podcast ends up being, just because it's easier to talk about, I would probably disregard all my advice. Okay, this person says, any last minute study tips for a desperate tester? Well, <laughs> if it's last minute, you're probably kind of boned. If you can't really cram for the LSAT. And they say, I've been studying for this exam for a long time. I took it last January and it shit. I was registered for November, but two days before the test, I just knew I was going to bomb it. So I moved it to January. And you know, 165, go to the schools I want. Okay, so you just knew, is that an intuition or is that based on your practice test scores? If it's intuition, don't do that. Um, listen to your practice test scores. If it's your practice test scores and the fact that you haven't hit that 165 that you want to be at, that's a good sign. You probably aren't ready. Um, they continue. I'm consistently scoring around 159 to 160. Okay, yeah, so you are below where you need to be, which means don't take the test. Minus two to zero on logic games, minus eight to 10 on LR, and minus 10 to 11 on RC. Please, please give me any LR and RC tips. I mean, read closer. That's the only tip there is. Other than that, you really need to dive into individual questions. Tips and tricks are not relevant for the LSAT. Um, it just isn't going to work. So yeah, I would say, you know, get your stuff together. Give yourself more time. Um, review the mistakes you're making. If you're missing eight to 10 on LR, that probably means you're getting another five-ish, right? Just through sheer luck. So you're not doing as well as you think you are. You're um, For every question you get right, you got one. For every question you got wrong, I should say, you got one right through luck. So if you're missing eight to 10, that means you're not understanding 15-ish, which means you're not understanding most of the questions. So you need to go slower. You need to actually understand what you're doing. It sounds like you're not. 
Alrighty, cool, cool. Well, um, yeah, we'll we'll wrap things up with that. Uh, so yeah, if you like what we did here, um, come check out the admission session. That should be fun. It's next Tuesday at six p.m. Eastern time. You can sign up for my newsletter on my website, and then you'll get automatic invites to that. Additionally, I have a LSAT session on the twenty seventh. So if you want to come to that, also six p.m. Eastern time. And yeah, uh, hope you enjoyed, and I will see you all in the future. Thank you.